This episode contains description of intense physical injury, death, and genocide. Please take care when listening. When you think of a Texan, you probably picture a cowboy, maybe even a kid riding to school on a horse. And while that's sometimes the case, it doesn't quite fit for everyone. Texans come in all shapes, sizes, ethnicities, and backgrounds. And that's why the Austin American Statesman is proud to present Truly Texan, a podcast showcasing all the different people that make the Lone Star State so unique. Today, we're speaking with Gilbert Tuhabonye, an Austin running coach and founder of Gilbert's Gazelles, who survived a genocide during the Tutsi-Hutu War of Burundi, Africa. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. So for our listeners, can you introduce yourself with who you are and what you do? My name is uh, Gilbert Tuhabonye, and uh, I am original from Burundi, but I have been here in Austin since 2001. I am uh, a founder of Gilbert's Gazelles, which is one of, one of the best running group in town. And then I'm a co-founder of Gazelle Foundation, which is a, uh, a foundation that is focusing on uh, providing a clean water to the people of Burundi. I'm also a head coach of uh, St. Andrew's track and cross-country team that I've been coaching since 2006. As you can hear, I, I wear many hats on uh, daily basics. So today I just want to talk about your life experiences and the work that you've been doing in Austin. And I know one of the biggest things of your story that some people already know about is your story of survival. Um, and I believe for coming up, is it this month is like the 30th, the 30th anniversary? Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the 30th anniversary of your survival and basically second chance on life. Can you talk about what you experienced? Yeah. So this is very, um, the month of October for me, it's very full of emotions uh, with what happened to long time ago to my life. Um, the other day, someone asked me, when is your birthday? I usually tell people my birthday is October the 21st, 1993, because really it's a true uh, new birthday because I almost died. And I spent eight hours in a burning building waiting and watching my friends dying one by one, and I was waiting for my turn. And so when it comes to that date, yes, it is a new date, but it's also a new chance for me to be alive and to do great things. Just to take you back a little bit, what happened to that? October the 21st, 1993, it was a civil war. A president that was elected, the first president that was elected democratically was assassinated by the army. And in the act of retaliation, the people that supported the president, uh, at that point we have Hutu and Tutsis, so mainly uh, Hutu, uh, you know, trying to retaliate in their villages across the country. And so my school got attacked, attacked by uh, local villages, and then the student later on joined. I was uh, seven hours away from my home. Um, of course, it was a boarding school. And uh, that day was very hard for me. That day was really difficult on so many levels. One was we were, you know, 
when you are in a school, a boarding school, the headmaster, it's the parent, it's your mom, it's your dad. It's someone you talk to when you have problems. And so that day, we went to talk to the headmaster. I was in a, you know, part of a student council. We went to talk to the headmaster, and the headmaster really said, you know, we're going to be crucified. And so I, I, was, uh, I, I was really hurt to hear from the, uh, the head of school. And uh, I was at that school, Kibimba High School, from seventh grade all the way to 13th grade. Uh, and so you can imagine, I knew everywhere, I knew everybody. Um, I was also a good runner, so I knew the way, my way around. Especially when you're in danger and you want to run for your life, you, you, know, you, you can run far and fast. So I knew. But the headmaster ordered that I be captured first because he was worried that if I tried to run away, I'll be able to reach the army and be able to alert the army to come and save the students and save the whole villages. So they captured me first. And so I remember, I remember the, they locked me in this building while they're torturing everyone outside because the headmaster said that he has a, a special, um, that he had a special torture for me. And I didn't know what it was. But the, the mob, what I call the organization committee that was in charge of uh, committing those crimes, they kind of denied him to touch me uh, lonely. So they requested that I join their group. And so we were, we were led away in a death march with no clothes, uh, roped together, and no clothes, no shoes. And we walked a, to a place that was designated to be like executing and burning everybody alive. Before I, uh, I got to the building, something really strange that kept me alive, there was a voice, and the voice was very positive, was telling me that I'd be all right. And uh, I stayed calm until we got in front of the building. But in front of the building, they created like a place for, it was a torture place. To torturing everybody, mainly to hit everyone on the neck. So in case, you know, in case you get in a fire, you just be pretty much paralyzed. That was the plan. So what saved me was these kids. There was this young man. His dad was general in army, and he thought his dad, you know, would come and rescue him. He refused to get in the fire, and so they chop him into pieces. And uh, to me, as a young man, never seen anybody killed by machete. It was really, was hard. So by emotion, I jumped in the building and um, that's how I was able to really to survive in the fire because everyone else that was in the fire was pretty much hit in the neck. So they were paralyzed, couldn't move. So when they bring in the fire, they would just burn, Not they would not be able to kind of um, uh, move. And so eight hours praying to God, you know, trying to understand and really what happened and why I ended up on the fire. After eight hours, I could not take it. I took a, a, um, a, this girl that I remember, 
I took this girl, she was half dead, and I threw out the window. And when I landed outside, I thought, you know, to go outside was it was a sign for if my parents would ever come look for a piece of Gilbert, they would be able to find at least, you know, something. I landed my, fir- my leg first. And I was hoping if they chop my legs, at least I'll be able to see and testify. Um, I had hope that this will, one day, this, you will be, I will be able to tell the story. I'll be able to tell what happened. And here we are today. I got out. And it was really difficult because I had a 30 be- third-degree third burn. I lost 30% of my body. And when I got out, it was almost 3 o'clock in the morning. It was dark. It's cold. And the journey to survive started. I was chased by people when I escaped the building, but they could not catch me. I was determined to really to fight for my life. It was, it was a hospital that I knew it was nearby that I needed to go break in and get medication you know, whatever I could find to clean up my wounds. I looked at my legs. I looked at my arms. There was a huge hole in my, back, my arms and, and also my leg. And so I was heading to break into that building. And it was hard. It was dark. And I was walking through a plantation of, uh, of uh, coffee plantation bananas. And then right before probably 5 o'clock, I was able to have access into the hospital. You can imagine it's less than a mile, but it took me near two hours. And then as I entered the hospital, uh, someone spotted me and started chasing me, but I ran and hid in the maternity room where they uh, give birth. And so I was like, I mean, even if these people are crazy, there's no way they're going to find them in a maternity room. At least they have respect for uh, women having um, babies. I locked myself in the building, but my heart was beating so hard. I thought, I thought that they were here, and I would hold. And so to make the story short, the same time, the soldier, I heard the soldiers looking for, for me. They were like, we heard the athletes got killed. Anybody, had, anybody has any word of Gilbert? And so the one, the, one the student said that I was killed first. I was the first person to be captured, so, and then I'm, I'm dead. That's what they were telling the soldiers. And I'm listening. I don't know if the bad guy, I don't know if the good guys. I, it took me, I, I took a chance to come out to say, I am here, I'm alive. The guy, um, the guy didn't know what to do. He threw down his gun, trying to grab me. There was no place to grab. I had, I had blood everywhere. I had holes in my arm, my legs. I mean, I couldn't even, at that time, it started, everything started seizing up. I started getting cold, and I could not, you know, stand up straight. I could not walk straight. Um, and so they, Put us in a, in a, they put us in a truck and they transferred us to an army hospital where I'd be watched by armies and met incredible people that treated me. Before my parents could find out that I was alive, 
I remember this woman called Lucy. Lucy was, um, she helped me a lot. She helped me with, you know, food. I couldn't eat. I was like uh, eating fluids and then uh, drinking a lot of milk, just kind of, just kind of recuperate. And uh, seven days later, my parents found out that I was alive. Actually, I'm the one who was able to uh, call my brother and then they come got me after seven days. After seven days, they transferred me in a hospital nearby where I grew up. It was the news around my whole villages was like they call me a survivor, and let's go see our survivor. He's a guy who was national champion, guy who was the best runner in the country. Now he's on a bed; he can't even move or do anything. I had so many people coming to see me in a hospital. I had people, you know, would come and leave. And it was the first time also in my whole village to see it burned from fire. It was kind of like a miracle. We're going to see this miracle, see this survivor. But for me, when I was in the hospital, I was, it was a moment healing. It was a moment to reflect on my life, to reflect the goodness that God uh, came to me uh, where everybody lost their life, their lives, but here I am, I am alive. I uh, held anger for a while. I could not understand how in the world these people trying to kill me, they were my friends. But today, because of the prison had been killed, they want to come kill me. I didn't understand. So I tried to find answer for myself. I, I started restraining myself from going to church. I refused to go to church because I saw a bunch of hypocrites. Because the country, Burundi, said, you know, 90% Christian. If it's not 90% Christian, how come people are killing each other? There's no way in the Bible that says you should kill. It actually, it's one of the uh, uh, Ten Commandments. You should not kill. And here they are as a country that they're killing each other. So to me, it was very hard and confusing. So I stopped going to church, but I kept reading my, uh, my Bible and um, started with the Old Testament and the New Testament, trying to understand and, and find an answer for myself. And um, really, I came to a conclusion that I need to forgive those people to live a happy and um, a joyful uh, life because you cannot live uh, with joy and happiness if your heart is full of anger and hatred. I learned how to forgive my enemies to move on. And that was not enough because these people you hear, you hear some uh, people pretend to be preachers. They go in church with uh, machete in their, in their um, uh, coat, their jackets. And then once they get they get home, they go assassinate and kill people. What kind, of, what kind of religion is that? Really, it was very tough for me. And so, but also, it was hard to see these people that they keep killing and there is no consequences. I decide again, it's not up to me. There's a justice. These people are going to be judged by justice. I need to find a, a peace in my heart. So, uh, then I was able to start jogging, start running, because running for me, it's, um, 
It's a therapy. It's my freedom. It connects me to the nature, to the people. I have been to many places. I've met incredible people because of running. And so that's how, when I moved to Austin, I was in my own world trying to, you know, compete. I love running. And one day, um, one day I was, uh, I was doing a race and my singlets, they saw this cars in my back because I used to be long sleeve and short sleeve and nobody would know. I didn't want people to treat me differently. I wanted people to treat me the way I am without knowing my history, without knowing what happened to me. And so, and so when I finished the race, uh, my friends, there uh, were three women uh, that I was, watching, um, I was working with. It's uh, Aida Dieck, uh, Alisa Jackson, and Jennifer Greenblum. They're like, they found out that I have scars. We were supposed to go run, and they're like, nope. No, today we are not running. We are going to have a breakfast. We want you to tell us uh, your story. Oh, man. So it, not only was a great moment, and I think mentally Aida Diego was like, your story needs to be told. There's nothing to be ashamed of. You have, you have escaped a horrible massacre. People should know that, and I think she took this story to Texas Monthly, and then from that time on and now, look where we are today. And so my story ended up being known by many people. I'm always grateful uh, to, um, to Alicia and her friends. Um, no, Alicia, Aida. And so throughout those years, I learned that forgiveness is a powerful tool that helped me move along. And because of that, I was able to find joy in running. And because of also the running, I met incredible people that helped me create the Gazelle Foundation, which is a charity, a charity that uh, provided clean water. Um, and the, the Gazelle, the club running the Gilbert's Gazelles, they've been supporting me since day one. And... Even the, the board of trustee of the Gazelle Foundation at that time was a part of the Gazelles. And so Peter, Ra- Peter Rauch, Paul, Paul Pugh, and um, um, D.K. Reynolds, those are the, the, the three that were members of the Gazelles. Now uh, the Gazelle Foundation was born because every time I would go speak to churches, people would be like, um, how can we help? You have an incredible story. How can we help? I didn't have a way to help. So that's how the foundation was born. And then up to today, I am so proud and happy to tell you that we have done an amazing job to transform lives in Burundi, Africa. The impact is it's, it's amazing. We have done, you know, uh, we've been doing Run for the Water for 17 years and the foundation was started right after my book came out, 2006. And since that, you can imagine that the life that we've done um, to help people in Burundi get a clean water. And it's been rewarding to, to see uh, the true impact happening on the ground. Growing up in Burundi, I used to fetch water before and after school. And Still up to today, 
children and women are the one fetching water. What the Gazette ha- Foundation has done is to reduce the distance people have to walk to get water. It used to be like almost four miles on the daily basics. Um, right now, we have uh, brought water close to homes. People, they have to travel. The average have to travel like 0.25, which is one lap around the track or a quarter mile. Um, that's how far they have to go to get a water. And the water they're getting, it's clean um, and it's easy to drink. Um, I mean, safe to drink. When I was growing up, you can imagine a day like this, right? A day like this, if you live by a creek and that's the water you drink and that's the water you fetch, you can imagine a rain, uh, we collect the water from the um, r- roof. That was the best way to, to get like a clean water. And so I'm, I'm so grateful up to today, we're able to change life uh, one, one village or one person at a time. And um, it's a great pleasure when I get a chance to talk about like, what a foundation does. Um, we don't do well. We do projects. What is the difference is Burundi is a mountainous. There's a lot of uh, mountain. And so we go... Um, like at the bottom of the mountain, collect water and treat the water and build a, like a tank, a big tank that is going to be like distributing water through villages. And uh, we target schools, we target markets, we target um, people where a hospital, people where we have a, um, enough not enough. When we have a big group that needs um, like uh, access to clean water, and um, it's been huge to see that transformation. Children, we did a study. Children now, they are happy and hydrated. Um, I'll give you an example. I went to school six miles away from my home, and be- between my school and the school, there was no water whatsoever. I would run six miles to school and I would come back the next day. There was no water. Right now we have a six tops, meaning kids can get at least every mile they can get clean water. And sometimes when people ask me, I don't know how I made it because it was, I was super dehydrated and you could not afford it to drink uh, water from a creek because you might get sick. And that, therefore, um, the best thing was to wait until you see a safe a place to get water. The school had water, but you had to go, you had to go a mile down to fetch the um, to get a clean water. So right now, those problems have been fixed. Um, the other story that I will never forget in my life is when I was in the sixth grade. My mother got sick, and nobody was around. It was only my uh, my my oldest brother. We go into school six miles. That's, that's the same place where we have um, a clinic. That day, uh, we took our mother. We asked our friends to help us carry our mother to the clinic. We get to the clinic. They're like, we do not have 
water. You kids, you have to go get water so your mother can bath the night. I will never forget that. So after we started giving water to villages of uh, uh, Songa, where we started, that clinic got water. I cannot tell you how happy to be able to give back. A, a really hospital, a little clinic that saved my life, saved my mama's life uh, that day when I was in sixth grade. Things like that. Those things like makes me happy and uh, because it's a transformation of villages. Uh, also clinics, they used to treat they used to treat the disease that associated with drinking bad water, but now don't exist anymore. They they get you know the clinic sees up like allergies and or chronic disease, but nothing relating to run to uh, drinking bad water. Uh, there was an area I think there was there was uh, like a three kids dying um, a month after we gave the water. Just get, think about it, how many kids we saved. It's incredible. It's a pretty rewarding experience to, uh, to be able to give back to the community. Uh, keep in mind, I almost died. Some of these people almost trying to kill me. But, but giving back, but helping other people, it's a just uh, uplifting and, uh, because it's, uh, it's, it makes us feel good because of what we do. And Sometimes people ask me, what is the drive for the Gazelle Foundation? What motivates the Gazelle Foundation to keep going? Why not stop and go to other countries or, or, or do something else besides water? It's because we saw that it works. It works. It changes people's life. Uh, sometimes when you see a video when a race is, uh, I mean, when a project is completed, you see people dancing, you see people thanking us for what we've we done. It's just an incredible feeling to be able to see you have a change in life of someone. And by the way, it does not cost a lot. It costs like $30. Think about what you can do here in Austin with $30. There's not that many things you can buy for $30 that would last forever or lifetime. With your $30, we can change life for someone in Burundi for life. And... Uh, I cannot wait with uh, this run for the water um, coming up November 5th because every year, every dollar raised, every registration, every run across the uh, finish line, life of someone is changing in Burundi. How cool is that? That's absolutely amazing and truly so incredible that sharing your story has been able to make such a huge impact and be such a positive life changer for people. But that's just still such a horrific, traumatic experience. I mean, is it still difficult for you to tell? I know that you've told it to so many different people at this point through your foundation, through other you know newspapers who've told your story. And I know you mentioned forgiveness and your faith getting you through, but I mean, how do you even begin to process something like that? Yeah, so... Um Say it's hot. It's not hard to 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 tell the story. Actually, right now, I used to be shy. I again, I told you, I used to lo- wear long sleeves so nobody, you know, would ask me like or look me different or treat me different or feel sorry for me. No, um, 
now I don't have to. I think right now that story of survivor, that story of uh, you know um, dying in the fire. Um, when I look, um, I don't know if you ever read my book. This book is, is called "This Voice in My Heart." The voice that was talking me, talking to me when I was in the fire, I had no idea what the voice was. Actually, one thing I didn't tell you is I almost took away my life because I was hopeless. Hopeless, helpless. Uh, the people outside, they were determined to execute and eliminate anybody. And here I am, I'm alive today. And I, when I try to associate that voice to today's action, to today's mission, to today's what we do in that voice, it was a chance to be alive again. God gave me a chance to be the voice for the voiceless. That's how I'm able to uh, kind of understand. Now I understand. I hear, son, I'm giving you a chance. Because think about this. They put us in the building, surround the building, make sure nobody escapes. And I was able to get away and escape. Who was in control? It wasn't that because I was strong or fast. No, he had the power. He had the key for our life. And that's why I always tell people, don't ever try to harm anyone. Because no matter what you do, every, every human being, every, I believe every person, it's not your neighbor, it's not your enemy that is going to determine how, uh, how you live and when you should die. And so don't try to harm anybody. It doesn't work. You don't have, uh, you know, you can, how many people that you see, like, they get beat to death and finally they rise up and survive. So don't ever, that's my message to you. Instead, instead of for me, what happened is to forgive those people, to move on my own life. The justice will, the justice will deal with it. I have to find a piece of me. So I don't like to. You know, I don't like to, um, when I get a chance like this to tell this story, I do this to inspire other people uh, because part of uh, the most of the people that were in the building, there were a couple that were able to escape, maybe two or three that escaped, but that was still in a bad shape. They hope, they don't have the same hope that I have because um, uh, it was rough. I mean, when you lose, like, almost 50% of your body, that's rough. And so, uh, to me, I do this to give uh, hope to other people and, that, uh, and, that, and also use the gift that you've been gift, given to help other people. So the gift that I got is to meet incredible people, to be in a situation where you can help other people. And, uh, and so... Um, that that's that's kind of inspiring to be the voice for others when i went to burundi like last january people would come up to me and saying great things and some of the things that i don't deserve like uh thank you you are an angel to us you brought water we were dying you brought you saved our life you're my savior i'm like no stop using those words i'm not a no savior the savior is the community of austin the Savior is the people out there um, 
getting involved in the Gazelle Foundation, get involved in helping others without knowing you. Those are the savior. They do because the mission work, because a lot, what is important, what is a human uh, right, and that's how they do that. It's an, I'm not injured. I'm not savior. I was brought back to, to life just so I could be in this position to be able to help others. And you mentioned the Austin community and just talking about the Gazelle Foundation. So on kind of that same note, what brought you to Austin in 2001? You know, uh, when it comes to Austin, I always, the person that I admired, my mentor, Paul Corosa, uh, gave me a chance, gave me a job to work at the shoe, a running store that was one of the best running shop, uh, running store in, in the country. Paul Corozza is a great man, and uh, not only he took a chance, but he also mentored me for uh, quite a long time. Um, we're still friends. He's someone that, you know, when I have, uh, I can always call him, uh, and that's how I came to Austin, working for a, a running shop, a running store. Um, and... Um, so run text. Everybody knows run text. If you grow up in Austin, if you're a runner, if you've been around early 2000, late 2000, I mean 2010, you know uh, how I was involved in the community. Actually, it's what made Austin the way it is. I, um, because most people run um, because of what Paul has done to develop the running community here in Austin. And that's how I got involved. That's how I was able to start the Gazelle Foundation. I mean, and in fact, Paul also helped us um, with a run for the water. The run for the water, he used to own it. And he gave to the Gazelle Foundation so we can raise funds to be able to help uh, the community of Burundi. So he has, uh, in, he has uh, in, not inspired me, but also he has also done great things for the community and also for the Gazelle Foundation. We've talked a lot about the Gazelle Foundation, but can you also talk about your experience with coaching? Um, my friend Reed Clements, um, he's the owner of the Grove, with among other things. But the, the cool thing was he found me. Um, he was running poor, and he was coaching at St. Andrews. And so he called me. He said, Hi, I need to take you to school. I think we need your help. We need you to help coach the kids. And coaching is, especially a Christian institution, it was always, I went to Abilene Christian University, and I love that structure. Um, every 11 o'clock, we stop, and we go, to, we go to chapel, and we'll be singing. And, you know, it was the best way to live, kind of like be free, sing, and also meet other people. Uh, it was like a change of pace, because uh, we live in a world, we don't stop. We're always boom, 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 going, going, going. Posing for that, 11 to 12, there's nothing. You, as a student, you don't do anything else. It's just go to chapel. Even if you're not a Christian, they force you to go because they know how important it is to just to go out there, sing, listen to music, and also just take a break from things. And so um, when I was told to go help us an angel by Reed, uh, Lucy, Lucy Nazro, who just passed, uh, was the head of school, was my inspirational. I've been to that school to speak for different occasions, and, um, and I met 
the AD at uh, that point was uh, Lola Longoria, uh, they didn't hesitate to hire me. And so since 2006 up to today, it's a been a joyful moment. People ask me, how do you go coaching adults to youth, I mean young? Um, it's a different pace, but it's so rewarding. It's also great because you go from, uh, let's say, mom and parents. You go from parents that they run because they want to run it, because they want to make a diff- uh, they want to make um, their day better. Running is a part of their life. Running is a part of that helps them clear their head. Um, it's a, a choice they made. And then you go to high school, and in high school, it's sometimes parents ask the kids to run, either to meet Gilberts or just for credit. And so whatever they choose to do for me, I always put, to, uh, it's like uh, establish a foundation. We're all here because we love to run. We are here to run. It doesn't matter. We're going to run with joy. I have to establish that. Establish run with joy. Because I believe that if you enjoy what you're doing, there's no question you are going to get better. There's no question you're going to improve. So establish joy first and everything will, will follow. And so it's always great that balance. It balances out. There's here's someone, you just tell me what to do, I'll do it. No question. And then you have kids. It's like, why? Why am I doing this? And, and it allows me to be the best I can be by instilling courage and also joy in them. Um, and that's what that mantra, run with joy. Coaching at St. Andrews, um, since 2006, it took me two years to figure out the team, to figure out the culture, and I was able to, um, to win a championship for the first time in the history of St. Andrews. 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, five straight championship. And I was like, I, I kept looking for six and seven and eight. Uh, I just got the six uh, last year of November. So I've won a six championship at St. Andrews. And uh, thanks to Reed, thanks to Laura, thanks to Lucy for giving me a chance to be able to help at St. Andrews. I also forgot to tell you, um, I'm also... Um, I was on a committee, uh, it's called Texas Holocaust and Genocide uh, Commission. It was uh, 15 members across the state, and the whole, the whole idea was to educate the, the, the um, mentally the youth about, um, about genocide and, and uh, Holocaust. You know how we keep saying... It would never happen again, but it keep happening. And so I was on that committee. I was there for 10 years, and it was amazing to serve with these incredible individual people that accomplished so much. And here I'm a survivor um, and be able to participate. And some of the cool projects that we did was to be able to see, like, the veterans, the people that rebellated people in, like, in uh, the, the Holocaust that happened right in for the Jews. And it was able to see the people, like, meeting who they uh, help. It was uh, incredible. And so that's something I forgot. So as you can see, I wear so many hats. You've been doing a lot of really amazing work, and you have the Run for Water coming up next month. How can people get involved in that? Well, again, 
every year is a special. Every year it's um, it's unique and it brings different perspective, different goals. But this year, um, turning thirty, and I was thinking, can we make a thirty thousand? No, it's, it's not gonna work. Through thirty thousand for three miles, I would love uh, your help. I would love your support. So if you are listening out there, we want to see you at the Run for the Water. It's an event that is bringing people together. It's an event that provides clean water to villages in Burundi. Right now, I can tell you for just the, the rest uh, history, we have almost 45,000 45, runners have participated. This is our 17th year. And we, we're trying to build six systems per year. Right now, we are up to 66 kind of systems, not well, systems. And more than 120,000 people are getting clean water. Uh, 54 schools and churches and hospitals now have clean water. And they have created almost 5,000 jobs. And that is due to you people registering and run for the water. November 5th is going to be a fun day. As we come to the end of our interview here, there's a question that I ask everyone who comes on as a tie-in to the podcast name, and that is, for you, what does it mean to be Texan? Oh, my gosh. You ask. A Texan. Uh, you know, maybe I'm not a Texan. I'm not Texan because I don't have, uh, I don't have uh, the 10-gallon or 5-gallon uh, hats. Uh, to be a Texan is a privilege. It's a privilege to be a Texan, someone who grew up and born in Africa, Burundi, and uh, end up in Texas, especially Austin, because Austin is the coolest city. Um, I was teasing my mom one day. I said, "If I'm coming home, I'm gonna create, I'm gonna wear like boots and ten gallon uh, cowboy hats." It's like, "What is that, son?" And I was telling, "It's a, it's a tradition here." Uh, which is back in Burundi. Those hats, the big hats, are worn by elders in the village. They wear that. And so it's like, you're going to show us that you old? No, it's a tradition. That's what the people wear here. It's amazing. Uh, it's uh, great to be called in Texas. I hope I, I hope I can live up to what Texas has to offer to the world. Texas is a cool state. I will not live anywhere besides Austin. Now, obviously, people can come and see you at the run for water next month but where can people find you online uh you can find us runforthewater.com or runforthewater.org but runforthewater.com it's a place to register to run for uh for the race if you cannot make the race you can donate uh gazellefoundation.com gazellefoundation.org you can be able to um donate and remember I'm 30 years old based on 93 events. My, my, uh, my, my true age is not 30. I call it 30 because it's a new life. And it costs $30 to give a life for someone in Burundi, provide a clean water for life. So if you want to donate to give you the math, that's how you do it. You do $60 or two people. You do $300, you are talking about 10 people. You do 900, we're talking about a class. And so uh, there's so many ways, there's so many ways to get involved. But mainly, come join us, run for the water. We also have a global run. A global run, you can run anywhere and uh, 
still make a difference. Thank you very much for your time today and for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoy every minute of it. You're amazing. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to tell your story on Truly Texan, head over to the Austin American Statesman website and fill out our submission form. This podcast is hosted and edited by me, Hannah Ortega. You can find me on Instagram at Hannah Ortega ATX.